Welcome to the Glittering Bell Jar, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Valerie. And I'm Bree. We're two writers and Harry Potter fans. In this podcast, we explore the Harry Potter series by reading it backwards. As you might recall, Harry and his friends discover the power of the Glittering Bell Jar in the Department of Mysteries as it causes objects to move backward and forward through time. We're doing the same thing each week, working backwards through a few chapters, starting with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Ready to explore Harry Potter in a new way? Then join us in the Glittering Bell Jar. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Glittering Bell Jar, your new favorite Harry Potter podcast? If you're newly joining us, I hope it's your new favorite Harry Potter podcast. My name is Valerie, and I am joined as always by my co-host Bree. We are reading the Harry Potter series backward, and as we're in season two, that means we are reading the second From the End book, which is Half-Blood Prince. Last season, we covered Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows backward, reading chapter by chapter in each episode, and this time we're doing it again, except we're literally doing one episode per chapter. So in season one, we did a kind of like two to four chapters per episode. This time it's one per episode, which makes it short, punchy, and interesting. Gives you just enough time to walk the dog or do whatever chore you're doing, like putting away the dishes or scrubbing the toilet. And then you can get on with your day. But if you're brand new, you might want to go back and listen to past episodes of which we have almost 30 at this point. So there's plenty to go back and listen to. But before I get into all that, I want to just check in. How are you doing, Brie? Ooh, uh, I am good. And by 30, you just mean in this season. I mean, last season we had 15 alone. So. Oh, yeah. We've got a ton. Yeah. What's funny is the math in my head was 60 and I was like, 60 is not right. But I, it's <laughs> actually almost there. So today is episode 25 and we have 15 from last season. So that means as of today, there are 40 episodes. So you have 39 other episodes you can go listen to. I recommend listening to them in order, though, if you do decide to go back because it just will make a whole lot more sense if you're not trying to go in a different direction than we recorded them. Wow, I am proud of us. 40 mm-hmm. episodes. I mean, mm-hmm. that's pretty impressive, I think. We, we're making it. We're getting there. We're getting yeah. there. <laughs> it's funny, though, because like in the world of Harry Potter podcasts, the Order of the Phoenix is always the break point. Everyone goes forward, right? So they do Sorcerer's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, Prisoner of Azkaban, Goblet of Fire, and then they get in Order of the Phoenix, and usually that's where it all falls apart. <laughs> and that means they get, you know, four and a half seasons before they fall apart. They lose interest. It gets too boring, which, to be fair, that book is long. I mean, I, I'm with you. But we decided to go backwards, so we only have two and a half or two and a half seasons to get to that point. So we have to get y'all hooked, because actually, I think that going through Order of the Phoenix backwards is going to be more interesting potentially than reading it forward just because you get to start at the end with umbrage getting what's due and then go back and just get angry about it (laughs) yeah i honestly think we're gonna kill that book we both were dreading it and then you mentioned that we get to read chapter by chapter which means we look at everything with a fine-tooth comb and the way that we do it here i feel like both of us love to research these small little details and i think it's going to be so interesting to weave our way through that book and find connections that probably are planted there as Easter eggs for the rest of the series, which we've already read. So, you know, buckle up. I think it's going to be great. If you are the kind of person who loved the fact that J.K. Rowling would hide Easter eggs throughout her books and then bring them up backward and forward throughout the time, that is literally, I just made this podcast for me because that's what I love, and that's basically all we do. So welcome. (laughs) You are among kindred (laughs) spirits who do not normally read the end of the book first, but are finding it not that unpleasant. Yeah, no, normally I would never do this. Neither one of us, but... I mean, I've read it so many times that like we were okay with it. (laughs) 
Anyways. Okay. Well, with that, here's what we're going to do in this episode. The standard format is that Brie gives us a synopsis of the chapter. I will read the last sentence because we literally read the last sentence and then flip to the beginning of the chapter and read it. So we'll read the last sentence and then we will discuss. And we will then invite you to join the conversation afterwards. So stay tuned to get our social media info where you can join the conversation. All right. You ready, Brie? Oh, I'm ready. Take it away. Chapter six, Draco's Detour. Life is easy at the burrows for Harry, Hermione, and of course the Weasleys. When Lupin comes to visit, he brings sad news of many people dying and places being deserted, including Ollivander's wand shop. Harry receives news of being made Quidditch captain, while Ron and Hermione are prefects for the year. They head to Diagon Alley to get their school supplies, where Hagrid meets them as their security detail. Instead of the usual magical bright displays, the alley was dark boarded up and full of wanted posters, warnings of dark wizards on the loose. Quite the opposite was Weasley's Wizard Wheezes, a joke shop run by Fred and George Weasley, which was brightly colored and packed to the brim with people. While looking around the big three, see Malfoy alone heading down Nocturne Alley. They decide to follow him to Borgen and Burke's, where he threatens the shopkeeper to keep something safe for him or else. Yep. And the last sentence of this chapter is, Once back in the shop, Harry whipped off the invisibility cloak, hid it in his bag, and joined him with the other two when they insisted, in answer to Mrs. Weasley's accusations, that they had been in the back room all along and she could not have looked properly. (laughs) Poor Molly. Poor Molly. She's just trying to keep these kids safe. No wonder her bogart is of them all dying. (laughs) They're all trying to get away from her and then they get in trouble. All the time. Oh, man. So what do you have in this chapter? So the first thing I noticed and I liked, and it's a pretty obvious thing. I'm sure everyone's kind of um, picked this up, but I just, Dumbledore is so meticulous in the way he does things. And obviously he makes mistakes and he's not perfect. And we have been pretty hard on him. However, one thing I think that he did do right was he makes Ron Hermione prefects. And of course, obviously, I think this was without fail, but Harry gets to become the Quidditch captain, which Hermione even says, Harry, you're the Quidditch captain, which makes you um, the same like stance. You're equal in terms of status with us. You get to use the same bathroom. And that was very, very specific thinking on Dumbledore's part. You know, we always talk about how he did it for Ron, which of course he did. You know, the he didn't want to make Harry prefect for a lot of reasons, um, but he did still get to be Quidditch captain. So I imagine in Dumbledore's mind, he was like, oh, well, this works out. Because the big three, they've got to be together or else there's going to be bruised egos. They're going to get into trouble. Someone's going to die. We cannot separate them, especially in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Anyways, I just... Go ahead. I forgot to tell you. This is totally unrelated. I agree. I'm glad Dumbledore makes Harry Quidditch captain. Though he obviously is Quidditch captain. And I'm glad that... more. It's more I'm glad that Ron gets to be prefect so that it all works out and keeps balance in the trio. But I was in a Harry Potter prefects type bathroom what? when I was on my last trip... Uh, not the one I'm currently on. If you listen to the last episode, you know I was up in the air and I'm traveling. But magic of technology, just roll with it. The trip that I took at the beginning of this month, as we're recording, they there was this shower and it had it was in the sauna, so it's like the public area, so you would be like in a swimsuit. Which, by the way, I've always wondered how the prefects work it out when one of them one of them wants to use their special bathroom at the same time because it's really a private room. Anyway. 
I had my swimsuit on. I just got done in the sauna and the steam room. And there were four knobs on the wall and they were all different things. They all did different things. So it was like one turned on like a deluge of just falling water, like a waterfall. And then one was like a mister from above. And those are, those are both from above. And then there were four things on each side. So there were like four side things and they could spray or they could miss. And then there was just like a rainfall one. And what you did with the different knobs all made different combinations of what the water did. And then it was colored in this area. And so like the color kept changing. I was like, this is the closest thing to a Harry Potter prefix bathroom on the planet. <laughs> and it was on a cruise ship that I was on in like their their sauna that's open to all the guests. And I was probably the only one who even used the shower. But I was so excited. And I was like, how did I only find this on the last day? <laughs> Yeah, that is that is very cool. Very fancy. All that, the giveaway there, the takeaway there is all that I want to say is you can find magic in any part of your life, even when you're not expecting it. If you look for it, Harry Potter stuff is all around. Oh, that was sweet. Yeah. I like that. And that's yeah. the episode. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's a season. That's no, a wrap. No, no, no. <laughs> no, yeah, wrap it. That's it. Click. Where's the thing where they click at the end of the tape. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I have a lot in this. Let's see. Okay, the first thing that I have that I'm a little bit interested on uh, is this interaction that Lupin has when he arrives at the borough for dinner and he's reporting on all the deaths of things. They say Igor Kakarov's body was found and he only sur- he survived for over a year. Sirius's brother Regulus only managed to survive a few days as far as I can remember. And I'm trying to think how he would know that information because what we know is that Regulus must write a letter and be like, guys, I'm out. And then he goes to the cave gets Creature to take the real Horcrux, and then dies. But I'm curious how there would be any sort of mythology around Regulus's death when he really just disappeared. Yeah, I was hoping you'd bring it up and you would know the answer. I didn't do the research. I was like, oh, that's funny, huh? Because I didn't think I didn't think he renounced him. Or maybe he did write some note or something. But I thought he just wrote the note in the locket. I didn't know that he had like formally resigned. Yeah. I honestly don't know, and I, I think it might be a discontinuity. I might I think this might actually be like, J.K. Rowling is trying to still get the audience to think that Regulus was a Death Eater who quit, because we don't want to know, we don't want any evidence that he had any other way of leaving the Death Eaters, because that would reveal something in Deathly Hollows, which we shouldn't know yet, or shouldn't even be questioning. It's like what we talked about a few episodes ago, where sometimes writers, when they have mysteries that the reader has to unlock, they give you data and then they bury it behind other information so that you forget that you know that. This kind of what this feels like. Because mm-hmm. it's also like Regulus information, Florian Fortescue, Ollivander, all on the same page. That's all really important to Harry, and Harry almost gets overwhelmed by it, so he forgets that Regulus information, so he doesn't remember it yeah. when they finally learn the truth about Regulus. Well, and then, because if that was, like, known information, then wouldn't Creature, wouldn't care about the Dark Lord anymore, right? You'd think. You'd think he wouldn't be loyal to anyone who is loyal to the Dark Lord, because he would assume. But he knows the truth that Master Regulus died in the cave. But, like, it just doesn't quite make sense. And I don't think that there is an explanation for it. Mm-mm. This There's, like, an urban legend that Regulus was killed by Voldemort for leaving the Death Eaters. But there's no evidence that any of that happened. Like, we never learn any of it. Okay, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Hmm. Honestly, it may just be the case that that's what the family said when their son disappeared with no explanation. You know, like sometimes families, when they have a child who's in a lot of trouble and something bad happens, they they compensate with a story that sounds better in some ways. Maybe, but they wouldn't. They wouldn't. Want, that'd be like a stain on their family that their son tried to leave the Death Eaters. Yeah, I don't know. That's why it just doesn't. It just doesn't make sense. So I said at the top of this episode that we were all about finding the continuities and the threads and all the cool hidden gems. And then I'm like, here's one that doesn't make any sense. So we call them out when we see them, when they don't make sense. Yeah. You know what? Maybe Voldemort said it. 
Maybe Voldemort did find out somehow, and he told everyone that. Could be. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Yeah. The next thing that I have is about Narcissa Malfoy. So the big three go in to get robes, and Malfoy and his mother are there. And I thought was, what I thought was really interesting that we have perspective on in this particular format that we're doing the, the podcast is that this is the only real interaction that Harry and Narcissa have before their interaction in the forest when she is sent to check him and see if he's still alive. And if I were her, I would be remembering this snotty little teenager giving me a hard time in the shop. <laughs> and she doesn't. She's so worried about her son yeah. that she has realigned her values to preserve her son above all else, above her pride, above her dignity. And maybe that's what being uh, humiliated by the Dark Lord for a year has taught her is like, I, we just have to get my family out. I don't care what people think of us. Mm-hmm. Because this is like, uh, he's he's pretty bold with her for being an adult. Like Harry's generally respectful to adults. He has zero respect for her and the most aggressive way. I mean, the only other adult he speaks to like this is Lupin when he and Lupin get in their fight. Yeah, you know, I was curious about that too. And I just kind of wonder, the only reason, because she's not really talking, although she's off screen, we don't see her, we don't really know where she is. She's But until Harry starts pretty much giving, going after Malfoy, she doesn't really speak up. And so she's just there to always protect Malfoy. And something I was curious about is I was curious about uh, Malfoy's dark mark, because I was like, did he have a dark mark? But yes, he ended up getting it. But funny enough, Narcissa never did. She wasn't ever officially a Death Eater. She just was aligned with her husband's views, but she never became a Death Eater. And so I want to keep watching because I just never paid attention to her character of how often if she is only if she is provoked, does she go after people and only if she they are provoking her family, aka mostly her son, because I don't even think she likes her husband at this point. She just likes her son. She just likes Malfoy. And I'm curious. Yeah, I'm just curious about her character. She obviously is a horrible person. I am not defending her. However... It is interesting to see the things that she cares about. And I think that truly is just Malfoy. And I don't even think she cares about Harry or anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost like she, her core values are are loyalty and family. Mm -hmm. And she just happens to be on the wrong side of good and evil. Like she just married a bad guy. Yeah. But she's loyal to him. She doesn't leave him. She doesn't abandon him, even though he goes to jail. And their son, she defends to all all ends to to the risk of death with Voldemort Voldemort you know if they walk away from the final battle and Voldemort wins they're not going to be in a good place like they better be on the run right like that's not a good situation but she she leads the way in getting her family to safety the other thing I had in this scene it's it's kind of happening at the same time is Madame Malkin the woman who owns the robe shop says you shouldn't accuse dangerous thing to say when Harry calls Lucius Malfoy a death eater and I'm like they printed in the paper in just a few weeks that the Malfoys are Death Eaters. This is not an accusation. This is known information. I mean, maybe the Daily Prophet is a rag and you can't trust it. It's a tabloid. But, you know, this this lady's like, don't accuse people. No, he's a Death Eater. He's, he's in jail right now because he was in the ministry attacking De- Dumbledore. Okay, <laughs> like He's a Death Eater. It's not an accusation at yeah. this point. Yeah, you know, I think all those businesses have to just try to remain neutral. And they're like, la, 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 they're not Death Eaters. I need the money. Mm-hmm. Especially because mm-hmm. he's getting his mm-hmm. robes fitted where the other three just grab stuff off the shelf, you know, off the rack. And so she's probably like, I don't hear anything. I need this money. I don't believe, la, la, like I am not listening, <laughs> which is probably what a lot of them do. Yeah, that's true. I mean, in some ways it leads into my next point that I was going to make that the businesses have to remain somewhat neutral, which is why it's interesting mm-hmm. that the... Weasley twins are are both in, they're they're neutral but they're not like they definitely they appeal to everyone right like they're not like overtly pro 
Harry or pro ministry, but they are also like making fun of the dark arts and Voldemort. And yet they, they do well, their business does, it thrives as a result, which is kind of interesting that people would be willing to even shop there in a place that's like, you shouldn't worry about, you know, who you should worry about, you know, poo, you know, like that people might not want to be seen in a shop like that at a time like this, but they are in droves. And that's really neat that the, the Weasley twins have found something that works so well. Well, and the fact that they have actually created weapons of war, mm-hmm. weapons that the ministry uses for their apparently inadequate employees who are not trained properly in um, any kind of defense of the dark arts or really much magic at all. Mm-hmm. I don't, I didn't remember that. I mean, I know they use some of their stuff in the war, but mm-hmm. they're literally supplying weapons to the government, essentially. They make joke stuff and they're, I'm like, they are so smart. And that's just like, I feel like that was J.K. Rowling's like little, just throwing it in there, like, these boys are funny. They are obviously very smart, though. They are starting a business that is running successfully. They're able to stay neutral, just like you said. And they're so smart, they're able to tap into a whole other market, which is the government. They get contracted by the government. <laughs> yeah. And I know J.K. Rowling has talked a lot about how her characters represent different sort of um, archetypes of kids. And I wonder if this is the, the joke kid who fails out of school. Like, just because you are that kid reading my book doesn't mean you're going to be a failure. Like there's a way for everyone who wants to, who's willing to work hard and be creative to come up with a positive outcome in their life. But you have to do the work. You have to be creative. You have to be smart. You don't have to be school smart. I feel like she has in interviews in the past talked about how these characters are meant to make kids feel like they have a place in the world. And here's two basically flunk outs who end up running a super successful business and having a government contract to do it, which is like, that's a great arc for kids who are struggling in school to see as an example like even if you don't do great at school you can still do great in life yeah yeah that's a great point i mean she does that with so many characters think of how many of characters like don't have parents or have horrible home lives and they have these great arcs they don't start out great you know neville luna harry so anyways yeah that's a good point i like that yeah what else do you have okay so real quick uh i just noticed that we had talked about whether malfoy was talking about the necklace or the uh, cabinets in the in the shop in Bur- Bourbon and Birkin's shop, and it's pretty much confirmed. I think that he was talking about the cabinets again. Mm-hmm. I didn't say he wasn't because if you look, page one twenty six. Okay, so I thought you were saying he wasn't talking about that, and I was like, no, he's definitely talking about the cabinets. No, he's clearly talking about the cabinets. I'm saying I don't think he's not talking about the necklace. I think oh, okay. there's no proof that he didn't buy the necklace there. Oh, okay. like. The, the whole argument that Harry has is like, well, he could have bought the necklace there. And Ron's like, well, then he could have carried it out in a package. And Hermione says, yeah, it would have been wrapped up. Now, Borgen says, well, if you have 1,500 galleons, you could buy it. But that just might be him being smart businessman and being like, well, Malfoy is going to pay me 1,000 for it. If you'll pay me 1,500, I'll sell it to whoever wants to pay me the most. But I think, yeah, my point was just that I think it's clear to me that Malfoy is trying so for everyone who's listening and has no idea in a few episodes ago we were talking about whether it's episode 19 Malfoy is smart or if he's purposefully sabotaging his own attempts to reach Dumbledore and I was saying I think he's trying and failing and Bree's idea was that he is just purposefully sabotaging so that he doesn't actually accomplish the goal but it looks like he's working on it I think he's trying whatever he can think of and the only thing he knows to do is go to Borgen and Burks and buy whatever they have and try and send it to Dumbledore fair okay no, but I actually had a note on the vanishing cabinets. So the interesting thing that I found is uh, in our argument, because you were like, I think Malfoy 
is smart and he's planning to not to do this all on purpose. And I was like, I think Malfoy's dumb. That was actually the core <laughs> of our argument. I still think, actually, I go more toward, I still think Malfoy's dumb because he doesn't fix the vanishing cabinets himself. He gets Borgen to tell him how to do it. And my whole argument was fixing the vanishing cabinets is an incredible amount of magic yeah. that is sort of unprecedented to fix vanishing cabinets that make them reconnect. But it's really Borgen who helps Malfoy do it. He doesn't do it on his own. So I guess I, uh, I am still like not... Malfoy's not as good of a schemer and dreamer of a Slytherin as he should be. I mean, Harry always gets help from everyone else. And that Malfoy still does it. He just asks him how to do it. And then he like has to work on it on his own, like from the other side and stuff. So, Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't say that about Harry. I'm just saying, <laughs> I think Malfoy is bad Slytherin. He should be better at scheming and coming up with stuff. He's not very good at coming <laughs> up with plans. His plans are not well thought through. And maybe it's because he's friends with Crabbe and Goyle, who are both dumb as rocks. And Harry's friends with Hermione. No, no offense, Ron, but Harry's friends with Hermione, the smartest kid in the class, and she's yeah. brilliant at coming up with plans. So you just have to have better friends, which means <laughs> not, not Slytherins. I don't know. I, I'm a Slytherin, but like he picked the dumb kids to be his friends. Really did. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, sorry, Slytherins like me. We, I just insulted us. Don't, don't worry. It was all, it was all me too. Uh, I guess we will wrap it up here. Okay. All right. So if you've enjoyed this episode, uh, we spent a lot more time talking about the format of this episode, but hopefully that is because we're getting more listeners and you're joining and you're enjoying it. Uh, If you've enjoyed it, we hope you will grab your phone, make sure you're subscribed in your podcast player of choice. You got to make sure you're subscribed, otherwise you won't get new episodes whenever they drop, which if you're listening in real time, that's daily. And then when we bring out our new season, which could be a little while, you want to make sure you're subscribed so you get those new episodes when they come out. And then you can also scroll down in that player and give us a review and a rating. So the ratings are usually really easy. It's like one tap. But if you want to write a little something extra, give us some feedback. We really appreciate that. And you can also find us on social media. Yep. Bell Jar Pod, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Give us a share. Uh, interact with our stuff. We'd love to see it. Send a DM if you want to contact us. If you have some just amazing feedback or maybe you just feel like chatting with us another way, you can email us. Podcast at followthebutterflies.com. Followthebutterflies.com is a Harry Potter website dedicated to all Harry Potter things possible, honestly. Um, It is Valerie's website, and it is a wonderful website. You should definitely check it out. We love it, so we know you will love it. Otherwise, who should they share this episode with? Or, you know, just the podcast in general, so they have someone to talk about all this stuff we're talking about. They can banter with someone else. So I think you should... Here's what I think you should do. You should either share it with your Hermione friend... Or your Crab and Goyle friend. (laughs) Don't tell them which one you think they are. (laughs) Let them listen to this episode and be like, I'm the Crab and Goyle friend. And then they can be, you can have something to talk about. (laughs) I love that. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we'll wrap it up. Thanks again for joining us. And we will see you in the next episode. See ya. Glittering Bell Jar is a Harry Potter podcast produced by the Calibro Group in partnership with Wild Goose Creatives. It is an unofficial fan project that is not authorized, approved, licensed, or endorsed by J.K. Rowling, her publishers, or Warner Brothers Entertainment Incorporated. Our theme music is Carnival of the Animals R125, Aquarium by Moments, licensed via Soundstripe. You can discover even more magic on followthebutterflies.com.